All right, this is Commission President Sam Cho convening the regular meeting of June 27th, 2023. The time is now 10.30 a.m. We're meeting in person today at the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport Conference Center and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Present with me today are Commissioners Calkins, Fellman, Hazagawa, and Mohammed, who are currently gathered in the executive session room awaiting for the opening of the public meeting. We'll now recess into executive session to discuss two items regarding litigation or potential litigation or little legal risk per RCW 42.30.110 sub 1 sub I. We'll be in executive session for approximately 45 minutes and we'll reconvene into public session at noon sharp. Thank you very much. This is Commission President Sam Cho reconvening the regular meeting of January 27, 2023. The time is now 12.04 p.m. We're meeting in person today at the Seattle-Tacoma International uh, Airport Conference Center and virtually, uh, uh, virtually via Microsoft Teams. Clerk Hart, please call the roll of all commissioners in attendance. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Here. Thank you. Commissioner Cho. Present. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Present. Thank you, Commissioner Hasegawa. Present. Thank you, and Commissioner Mohammed. Present. Thank you. We do have a full board with us here today. Excellent. A few housekeeping items before we begin. For everyone in the meeting room, please turn your cell phones to silent. For anyone participating on Microsoft Teams, please mute your speakers when not actively speaking or presenting. Please keep your cameras off unless um, you or a member or you are a member of the commission or executive director participating virtually or a member of staff in a presentation and are actively addressing the commission. Members of the public addressing the commission during public comment may turn on their cameras when their name is uh, called to speak and will turn them back off again at the conclusion of their remarks. For anyone at the dais here today, please turn off speakers on any computers and silence your devices. Please also remember to address your request to be recognized to speak through the chair and wait to speak until you have been recognized. You'll turn on your microphones on and off as needed. All the items noted here today will ensure a smoother meeting, so I thank you in advance. All votes today will be taken by the roll call method so that it's clear for anyone participating virtually how votes are cast. Commissioners will say aye or nay when their name is called. We are presiding and meeting on the ancestral lands and waters of the Coast Salish people with whom we share a commitment to steward these natural resources for future generations. This meeting is being digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website and may be rebroadcast by King County Television. At this time, please stand or join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, first item of business today is approval of the agenda. As a reminder, if the commissioner wishes to comment for or against an item on the consent agenda, it is not necessary to pull the item from the consent agenda. Rather, a commissioner may offer supporting or opposing comments once the motion to approve the consent agenda is on the floor and before the vote is taken. However, if a commissioner wants to ask questions of staff or wishes to have a dialogue on a consent agenda item, it is appropriate to request the item to be pulled for separate discussion. Are there any items to be pulled from the consent agenda or any motion to rearrange the orders of the day? 
Great. Commissioners, the question is now in, on the approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda as presented? So moved. Second. Great. Seconded. The motion has been made and seconded. Is there any objection to the approval of the agenda as presented? Hearing none, the agenda is approved as presented. Thank you very much. Moving on, commissioners, we do have one item for special orders of the day to begin our meeting. Clerk Hart, please read the item into the record, then we'll hear from Executive Director Metric to introduce the item. Thank you, Mr. Commission President. This is item 4A, proclamation in recognition of June 2023 as Pride Month. Commissioners, Pride Month reminds us to live proudly and authentically as our full selves and, it, and is a celebration of our LGBTQ IA plus communities and everything they have endured and overcome. The American Civil Liberties Union reports that they are making and tracking 491 anti-LBGTQ bills in the United States today, making it important now more than ever to be allies and stand in solidarity with LGBTQ IA plus communities. This past Sunday, our employee resource group, Portwide Pride, marched in the Seattle Pride Parade an event that we have participated in since 20, uh, 2002. In, in attendance today, we have a few members of the Portwide Pride joining us to read today's proclamation before you. I'd like to recognize them now, and I think they're all with us virtually. I'm assuming they are. I don't see them here. But we have Megan O'Connor. We have uh, Leona Kamas uh, Kamatsu. And we have uh, Tom Johnson, Root Perez-Studer, and... Jude Barrett and so I think at this time I'm turning it um, I think I'm turning it over to Megan Megan it could possibly hey there, um, okay. all right I think somebody else is going to start okay all right I think Tom maybe it might be Tom yeah thanks Tom thank you hi Megan thanks executive director metric Proclamation of the Port of Seattle Commission. Whereas the Port of Seattle is committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and belonging is an asset and strength of our public agency, as reflected in our Century Agenda goals and our values of respect, anti-racism, and equity, integrity, stewardship, and excellence. And whereas the Stonewall Inn riots in June of 1969 against police violence, which targeted lesbian, gay, and trans communities in New York City, continues to serve as an important moment of U.S. history. Initiated by two trans women of color, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, Stonewall protests led by the gay community for the right of LGBTQ individuals to be able to live safely, openly, and authentically became a seismic moment in the fight for LGBTQ rights and... Whereas the first anniversary of Stonewall in 1970 became the first pride celebration spreading to several cities before becoming a national and international recognition and celebration of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, asexual, two-spirit, and plus, abbreviated as LGBTQIA2S plus communities, and whereas the fight for the dignity, respect, equality, inclusion, and belonging of the LGBTQIA2S plus communities has been hard fought in the streets, courts, and legislative chambers for decades and continues today for LGBTQIA2S plus individuals and families to be free from the threat 
of police violence, discriminatory and or bigoted laws, and de facto discrimination. And We are, despite significant progress for LGBTQIA2S plus rights in Stonewall, there are a growing number of laws and legislation rooted in bigotry and homophobia that seek to deny freedom of expression or free speech protected by the U.S. Constitution or to deny crucial gender-affirming care or other life-saving form of care, education, and protection for LGBTQIA2S plus individuals. The American Civil Liberties Union cites 491 anti-LGBTQ bills across the U.S. in 2023 alone. And whereas racism, ableism, misogyny, colorism, and anti-blackness, xenophobia, and immigration status Homophobia and transphobia are interconnected and result in continued experiences of prejudice, discrimination, invisibility, marginalization, physical and social emotional attacks, and lack of protection for fundamental rights and dignity in hospitals, schools, places of employment, public accommodations, and other places. And whereas a study by UCLA Laws Williams Institute cites 40% of LGBTQIA2S plus adults identify as people of color and an estimated 1.3 million immigrant adults and are LGBTQIA2S plus of whom 23% are undocumented. These numbers highlight the intersectionality and multiple identities that compound the lived experiences both of LGBTQIA2S plus immigrants and or LGBTQIA2S plus people of color who may have fled persecution the threat of state-sponsored violence or other forms of violence, including sexual assault, in their home countries for being queer, LGBTQIA2S, or survived generations of institutionalized racism and violence, and whereas LGBTQIAS2 plus families and the many different ways that they are formed and what they look like continues to be another arena in the fight for equal rights for LGBTQIA2S plus parents and. Whereas Pride Month is a time to learn, reflect, and honor the trials and contributions of the LGBTQIA2S plus community in the fight for their rights as human beings, Pride Month is also an opportunity to commit to solidarity and allyship to eradicate discrimination and injustices for collective liberation. And whereas the Port of Seattle celebrates and values its LGBTQIA2S plus employees and community members both during Pride Month and year round through the Portwide Pride Employee Resource Group and the Port's Transgender Inclusivity Work Group. 
The Port is committed to learning from and uplifting the leadership of LGBTQIA2S plus employees and working to make the Port an employer that recognizes the importance of healthcare equity via gender-affirming care and other benefits responsive to the needs of LGBTQIA2S plus employees and whereas the Port of Seattle stands against the discrimination, violence, and threats of violence against LGBTQIA2S plus communities and with all LGBTQIA2S plus families and individuals in accordance with Port values and the belief in equity, equality, liberty, and justice for all. Thank you so much to all our readers today. Uh, at this time, I'd like to recognize Commissioner Calkins as the lead sponsor of the proclamation uh, and start comments with him. Thank you, Commission President Cho. So I, I wanted to share a few reasons why I think it's important that we make this proclamation this year and uh, why I've asked to, to be the sponsor of it. I, first, I want to recognize that uh, June is a month of celebration, that oftentimes as we think about um, some of the issues still facing the LGBTQ plus community the you know we we really need to focus on the concerns around increased bigotry and homophobia in our society and the efforts by certain factors within society to legislate away the rights that uh, we're finally honoring in most of the country and and um, and fight against efforts to undo that but I also want to recognize what an incredible celebration it is and uh, I think that stems from the very fact that love is not a zero-sum game. That when we finally allow people to love who they want to love, that that actually builds love for all of us. That it doesn't take away from you in any way to see people who for decades, generations, for really the history of humanity have been prevented from being able to honor that very basic thing. I was born this way. This is who I want to love and I want to be able to, to uh, share that with the other person who I truly love. And know that that doesn't take away from me. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I think it's really important that we celebrate this publicly and openly and loudly because of the point that was made in the proclamation is that this intersects with other areas of vulnerability. Whether it's as a first generation American or as a person of color or for something that's very important for me, for youth. Think about, for those, for for those of us who did not have to deal with uh, non-heteronormative gender stereotypes placed on us when we were children, think about what it must have been like to go through middle school where who you were as a person was questioned on a fundamental level. It, it's no surprise that, that these children face some of the highest rates of suicide, some of the highest rates of depression. And when we say in the month of June, we celebrate who you are as adults, as leaders in our community, it tells those kids that they are welcome and that they are loved. And so for me, I will continue to go to every pride parade I can go to. I will wear rainbows throughout the month of June and around the year whenever I'm asked to. I, I wanna demonstrate to those kids that they have a strong ally in me as an individual and us as leaders and also as the institution of the port and that we're gonna make this place a place that they feel safe and that they know that they're truly a part of this place in this region. So. I'm truly excited to support this proclamation and, and uh, look forward to the support of my fellow commissioners. Thank you so much, Commissioner Calkins. Are there any other comments from commissioners at this time? Commissioner Fellman? 
Uh, thank you, Commissioner Coughlin, for introducing this. And uh, I, I must say that the, you know, making this as mainstream celebration as possible is really what's critical. And I think it's great that the commission take this up. I was also delighted the fact that the Seattle Aquarium had a pride night that I was uh, honored and enjoyed very much going out with our commissioner, uh, commission office person, Preston uh, Tucker. And, and it was particularly fun because I was able to give a tour of the aquarium. But the fact that the whole aquarium was a, a joyous place to celebrate uh, Pride Month, I, I thought was something great. And, and part of the ongoing efforts that we have perhaps in our MOU with the aquarium could be a joint effort. It was a great venue to have a party as well. So uh, thank you again for bringing this up. And I like the fact that unexpected venues like that will be part of this celebration. Thank you, Commissioner Feldman. Any other comments? All right, Commissioner Hazagawa. Um, I just wanted to wish everyone a very happy uh, Pride Month. And um, I do think uh, of all the things that Pride represents as a moment to be able to recommit ourselves to our values, to be able to commit ourselves to equality and fairness for the LGBTQIA2 plus uh, community members, that it's also important to indeed celebrate the irrepressible joy um, of our of our beloved community members. Um, you know, I'm proud of the work that I've seen take place at the Port of Seattle since I arrived here in trying to embrace and take steps towards more inclusive facilities, towards, um, you know, creating spaces for community, for members of our own port staff to be able to connect as community members, to be able to ask questions about what we're doing to specifically stakeholder with um, youth shelters and um, and community-based organizations, knowing that um, LGBTQIA2 plus uh, youth face higher homelessness as well. And as a entity that's committed to economic development and empowerment um, of, of people in that way, I just think it's such an, an, an important piece of the conversation. And so um, I'm, I'm just so happy to be able to vote in support of this uh, proclamation. I'd like to thank Commissioner Calkins for bringing it forward and all the port staff who put so much towards it. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Hazegawa. Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you for the time. Um, I echo the words of my colleagues and I uh, just really want to thank Commissioner Calkins for bringing this proclamation forward. Um, I would like to extend my warm wishes to those who attended Seattle's Pride Parade this Sunday. And I also want to thank all of the members of the Portwide Pride ERG group. Thank you all for your leadership, recognizing, celebrating, and supporting the civil rights for LGBTIA plus communities ensures equal treatment of protection and opportunity for uh, everyone, regardless of their sexual orientation, gender identity, or expression. I am so proud to live in Seattle and to be part of the Port of Seattle where we recognize, um, where we recognize and we prioritize the safeguarding of those rights and promoting inclusion, diversity, and a society where individuals
Commissioner Mohammed, your camera has frozen. Commissioner, if you can hear me, you might have to leave the meeting and rejoin. I don't think she can hear you. I did it. It's taking really long. Deep breath. Okay. Let's go ahead All and right. continue. Yeah. All right. If she can get back on, I will uh, recognize her again. But let me just um, also, you know, echo the sentiments of my colleagues and thank Commissioner Calkins for leading on this, as well as the staff who have helped draft and put this forward. I'm extremely proud of our, all of our, EH, our ERGs, but, all, but especially uh, Port White Pride. Oh, I thought I saw it come back. Um, you know, one of the things that we pride ourselves on is, is, is being a gateway to the Pacific Northwest region, right, as both a port and as a seaport. And I think part of what we strive to be as an organization, as an institution, as a government entity is one that uh, is a, a welcoming gateway a gateway that uh, welcomes people from all walks of life. Uh, and that could be anyone from uh, people coming in here internationally uh, traveling or uh, people of different faith or of circumstances, whether you're refugees, but also uh, if you identify within the LGBTQI2S plus community. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I just want to uh, make sure that um, I give credit to all those who work towards that goal of making this institution and this organization that welcoming place for anyone in any walk of life. Uh, it makes me very proud of who we are and what we do as an organization. I certainly hope that those who come through this gateway, who come through this airport where we're sitting right now and uh, feel that way, uh, and they see us as leaders uh, when it comes to being inclusive and diverse. And so uh, I'm very, very much supportive of this. I'm very much supportive of our ERGs continuing to fight the good fight. Um, and I am looking forward to the future good works that will come out of uh, all the things that are, are, you, you all are doing. Um, so with that, uh, I see that Commissioner Mohammed has come back. I, I wonder if Commissioner Mohammed, you wanna uh, uh, finish what you started. I, I wonder how far I got, um, and so to start I, over. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and I don't know if I was frozen and I was looking good, and I hope I was. <laughs> you always look good. You don't worry there. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, well, I, you know, all I was really just saying is that it is important for us to recognize and support the civil rights uh, um, for our LGBTIA plus communities, and to ensure the equal treatment protection and opportunities for everyone, regardless of their sexual orientation, gender identity, or expression. And I was also saying that, you know, I feel really proud to live in Seattle and to be a part of the Port of Seattle, where we prioritize um, the safeguarding of these rights and promoting inclusion and diversity in our society to make sure that people have the opportunity for them to thrive and to contribute and be respected for their true selves. I'm um, proud to be a part of that, and I was wishing everyone a happy Pride Month and uh, and also thanked the Port-Wide Pride uh, GRE Group for your leadership. Thank you for the time again. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Excellent. Hearing no further discussion for this item, is there a motion and a second? So moved. Second. All right. The motion was made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll for vote. Commissioner, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. 
Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. Excellent. The motion passes. Thank you all. Next on our agenda is the executive director's report. And I understand we also have a special recognition today. Executive Director Metric, you have the floor. Thank you, President Cho. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. With the end of the school year and official start of summer behind us, we are entering the heart of the busy summer travel season through our gateways. In fact, eight of the 10 busiest days of 2023 <clears throat> have been in the past two weeks. While we did not break the single day outbound passenger record that was forecasted this past weekend at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, we are confident we will do so soon and will most likely exceed that record several times throughout the summer. To be clear, we expect to hit an all-time high, not just a post-COVID uh, high, but in our, this would be in our entire airport history. While, doing, while we are doing all we can to, uh, operationally to accommodate this incredible travel demand, we are simultaneously hard at work upgrading SEA, constructing new amenities and enhancements to improve the customer experience. You'll hear updates on several of those projects as part of today's meeting agenda. <clears throat> in, other, um, I wanna, uh, in another update, last week I traveled to Long Beach, California to attend the Port Electrification U.S. Conference, where I spoke during a session on electrifying U.S. ports with a number of other West Coast ports. I also had the opportunity to meet with some of the offshore wind stakeholders in the area to learn more about their work as well in, uh, in California. It was, an inform it was informative, especially to learn about what sustainability initiatives are underway in other ports and the common challenges that we face as we work to decarbonize our maritime operations. In related travel, later this week, Commission President Cho and I will travel to London to join Senior Director of Environment and Sustainability, Sandra Kilroy, at the International Maritime Organization's Marine Environmental Protection Committee, the MEPC, to help advocate for ambitious greenhouse uh, gas reduction goals by the global maritime industry. We know that we cannot meet our Northwest Clean Ports Clean Air Strategy objectives without supportive national and international policies in place, and that the MEPC 80 meeting it will be a key opportunity to pursue that objective, and it is a pivotal meeting of this group. In other news, I'm pleased to share that the Port of Seattle has recently notified, was recently notified that it, that has received the Government Finance Officer Association's Distinguished Budget Presentation Award for the 2023 budget document. This award is considered the highest form of recognition in governmental budgeting. As stated in the GFOA's award letter, the award represents a significant achievement by the entity. It reflects the commitment of the governing body and staff to meet the highest principles of governmental budgeting. Impressively, this represents the 16th consecutive year we have achieved this award, and it demonstrates the port's continued commitment to the highest standards of fiscal stewardship and ex excellence in financial management. Kudos to all of the port's finance and budget staff, as well as team members in accounting and financial reporting for the dedication, professionalism reflected in this recognition in their continuing high level of performance for, for, for over 16 years in a row. I look forward to sharing some of their work in, the, in preparation for the 2024 budget during the commission budget retreat later this week. Moving to today's commission meeting, I'd like to highlight a few items. On our consent agenda, we have some infrastructure and facilities items related to our HVAC and air filtration systems at the airport. 
We also have a construction authorization for the planned improvements for the South 188th Street Tunnel. Under new business, we have some action items related to budget authorizations for our SEA Gateway project, our Concourse A expansion, and our Sustainable Airport Master Plan environmental review. I will have more to say about these items during their introduction later uh, today. And lastly, before I conclude my remarks, I'd like to recognize some guests uh, with us here today. So, and I'd like them to join me up here. I have um, Chief Mike Villa, um, and come on up. And uh, our police department, our police department works uh, around the clock in keeping all of our facilities and those that use them safe and secure. And we deeply appreciate that. And we also appreciate the leadership that Chief Mike Villa has shown. Later this year, Chief Villa will provide us his annual report. However, today I'm pleased to welcome Chief Villa for a special occasion. In recent years, we have included the acknowledgement and recognition of the Port of Seattle Police Department Officer of the Year during our commission meetings. So today I'm pleased to invite Chief Villa to join us and introduce this year's winner, Chief Villa. Good afternoon, Commission President Cho, Commissioners, Executive Director uh, Metric, Port of Seattle staff, uh, friends and family that are here with us. Uh, this afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Mike Villa, Chief of Police, and with me is Officer Nick Blevins. Uh, the Port of Seattle Police Department um, has a, a Police Officer of the Year, and it is an award where employees nominate uh, officers based on their um, knowledge, leadership, uh, self-motivation, initiative, uh, willingness to help others, uh, and uh, etc. The Officer of the Year is then uh, selected by vote of his or her peers. Uh, this year there were several outstanding uh, nominees and one of those nominees uh, was Officer Nick Blevins. Uh, now Nick served uh, with the uh, U.S. Army for 21 years and he retired as a first sergeant uh, before applying with the Port of Seattle and coming to us in January of 2020. Uh, and I'll just say that um, from the first day that Officer Blevins uh, stepped foot uh, here at the port, he has been a, a um, phenomenal performer. Uh, he has been one that, that has contributed much uh, to the organization. Um, he's one that models our values, and it really is a, a pleasure for me to, to be here and talk about him a little bit uh, this afternoon. His nominee states in part, and I'm going to read uh, some of the, what the uh, person who nominated Officer Blevins said. Officer Blevins maintains an extremely positive attitude, which is inspiring in a struggling uh, police culture. So over the last uh, almost four years now that, that he's been here, there's been some challenges uh, with um, the perception of law enforcement. And Officer Blevins, I've, I've witnessed several times where he has been inspiring others, motivating, doing things to lift up uh, our officers and our staff here. And I appreciate that as well. Uh, this officer or this uh, person who nominated him says, I've witnessed Officer Blevins performed flawlessly under pressure uh, and push himself to the limits. Officer Blevins maintains three important specialty positions. He's one of our boat operators. Uh, he also is an operator on our uh, crowd management unit and also a police training officer. <clears throat> officer Blevins is a, a fairly young officer, but maintains a wealth of knowledge. Uh, to share and teach to both new and lateral officers. It's not easy to become a, a police training officer and especially just having only a few years of law enforcement, uh, yet uh, he is one who's now training other new officers that are coming on board. 
Officer Blevins demonstrates extreme patience, understanding, and empathy with all students he is assigned to. Uh, this uh, person says, I believe Officer Blevins' work ethic and initiative to be second to none on this department. On any given shift, Officer Blevins can be heard going out on numerous contacts in an attempt to make the airport and its shareholders more safe and secure. And I'd say that applies the same with the seaport. Uh, lastly, perhaps the most underappreciated task Officer Blevins has taken on is the role of being on the recruitment team. Now, Officer Blevins routinely dedicates multiple hours per week to recruiting individuals who are, considered leave, who are considering leaving the U.S. military at JBLM. As an Army veteran himself, he is able to connect to current service members and give them insight to a potential life-changing career at the court. Officer Blevins, I was talking to him earlier, and, and he worked last night. He's off today. He's going back to JBLM tomorrow, I believe on his day off, to continue to help recruit officers for the department. Uh, Officer Blevins' dedication to the overall well-being of this department and all its officers is undeniable and should be commended. And I would just, I would echo everything that has been um, said in that nomination. So again, we had outstanding uh, officers nominated and uh, once we receive those nominations, those go out to the department and his peers uh, selected Officer Nick Blevins as uh, the Officer of the Year. So it's my pleasure to uh, to announce uh, that to the commissioners and also uh, Officer Blevins to uh, give you this plaque um, presented to Officer Nicholas Blevins, Officer of the Year. Sure. We'll receive that. And then uh, with that, um, Officer Blevins, if you could introduce your family members you have with us, um, and then I'm sure that the commissioners uh, would like to hear a few words from you. So just getting up in front of people and talking in front of formations is a lot easier, but I'll, I'll get in front of the mic. So, um, yes, sir. Uh, Port uh, of Seattle Commission, thank you again for having me today. Um, Executive Director Metric, thanks again for uh, for having us do this today. Um, I'd like to thank Chief and the command team for um, providing me the opportunity to serve in this department. Um, before I forget, like I used to always in the past, uh, I'd like to introduce my wife, Kim, from uh, Nuremberg, Germany, uh, my son, Tyler, my son, Aaron, and his girlfriend, Lauren. Um, without them, I, I, I would never be in this position. Uh, as everybody knows, your family is your backbone, and I've drug them around for 20-plus years um, from multiple duty stations. And my family is, uh, has always been a big supporter in everything I do. Um, and they've sacrificed a lot more than I could uh, than I could imagine with six deployments and, and, and multiple PCS moves and um, uprooting our, our lives and going to new places. Um, so with that being said, the beginning of this journey um, as, as a former service member, you know, starts with the transition. And I will tell you this, getting into law enforcement and in particular here in the Port of Seattle was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. The the scrutiny and the intense backgrounds um, in the hiring process to become a member of this department is above and beyond anything that I've ever experienced. And I really thank you, Chief, uh, for taking a chance on a 21-year veteran that 
um, just wanted a chance to continue serving. Um, I, I never envisioned myself working in, in some sort of office or just sitting around. Um, I love to, I love to serve. Um, I wanted to be a part of something that's, that's greater than me. I wanted the opportunity to, to continue to problem solve and to reach out and help people. Um, I want to tell a quick story. I don't know how much time I have, but um, this really sums up kind of why I love working at this department. And, uh, and I tell every person that I talk to on a day-to-day -day basis, to include the people that I recruit, that I hit the jackpot coming to this department. This, this place uh, allows you to serve in a variety of um, positions. It gives you more opportunities than any other place in, in this region. Um, a couple nights ago, I was dispatched to a um, attempt to locate. And for those that don't know what that is, it is a um, Somebody's looking for somebody uh, they're, they're missing. So the call came out around midnight. I go out to one of the gates. Um, I speak with the Alaska Airlines representative that was out there. They said that a, um, an elderly woman, um, approximately 80-some years old, uh, was looking for her husband, and she couldn't find him. So I asked, um, well, how long has he been missing? When did he leave? Uh, she couldn't remember the time. There was a language barrier, so we got a translator to help assist with the language. and and that the last time she saw him was during lunchtime. Well, they landed at 11.40 a.m. that morning. This was midnight, so we're, almost, we're already at a 12-hour time period. The last time we, that she remembers was around lunchtime. So um, luckily, I'm, on, I'm also a bike member, so I was on my bike. I was able to kind of cruise around the airport to try to find this, um, her husband, and I couldn't find him. So I go back out there, I tell her, hey, um, I need a little bit more time. Let me get on the cameras and start working in it. Let me get my teammates involved to see if we can um, to find her husband. We ended up working extensively on cameras. Every single officer in the airport, um, to include the ones that were working outside the airport, all contributed into looking for her husband, who we found out later along uh, that her husband suffered from severe dementia. And he often gets lost, is what she told us after the fact. So. Throughout the night into the early morning, um, we in submitting a, a missing person report to um, our dispatch to broadcast it out. We contacted hospitals, other police agencies, um, a variety of other places that was in the area. And luckily, we ended up finding uh, this person uh, around, zero, around 6 o'clock in the morning the next day. Um, the person ended up going all the way out to the Tequila Light Rail Station and was sleeping there and we were able to find them, bring them back here, reunite them, and get them on their journey. They didn't live here, they were from Florida. They were just here on a layover in route to Hawaii to attend a family wedding. And the reason I tell the story is because this is not a very common thing that happens in other places like in a city department or a county. Um, here at the Port of Seattle, you have to solve complex problems. And the customer service portion of our job is very critical in everything that we do. So when I tell my recruits and I tell the people that I'm that I'm trying to get them to join and to follow in a, in a career path like this, is that the Port of Seattle Police is, is, not, the, is not for everybody. And, and, the, and, and we pride ourselves on being patient, being mature, making good decisions, understanding how to solve problems, uh, at the same time keeping this place safe and secure for all the passengers, the employees, and everybody that we have interaction with. Um, and, and with that being said, it's just a unique opportunity. And I'd like to thank all my teammates um, for the um, the vote to give me officer of the year because this is not about me um, this is actually about everybody that's brought me to this point um, from my leadership to my training officers to my teammates um, who are on the who are on my same squad with me they are the ones that I represent so the award is not necessarily about me I just try to do my best and, and make my make my teammates proud 
And at the end of the day, my number one goal when I got hired here was just to be a good teammate. And so I want to continue on and, and keep pushing that out to my, my fellow peers as well as my leadership that um, when I show up to a call or you ask me to do something, um, I'm going to give you my number one you know, effort to make sure that the mission is accomplished. So uh, with that being said, thank you again for the opportunity to be here and, and speak. And again, thank you to my family for attending today. I really appreciate it. And again, Chief, thank you for taking a chance on me. So thank you. Hey, make sure we're in the background on this photo. You post, I post. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> right. And you, have, you have your pin on. It's perfect. <laughs> you're, on, you're unmuted, just so you know. All right. Um, thank you so much, Executive Director Metrix, Chief Via, and Officer Blevins. Congratulations again for being selected by your peers for this honor and recognition. Uh, the commission certainly shares in this recognition and, and thanks uh, you for your service as well as the entire department for your dedication. Um, I want to thank you for the report and uh, we are now going to move on to committee reports. Erica Chung, Commission Strategic Advisor, will provide the report. Uh, good afternoon, uh, President Cho, Commissioners, and Executive Director Metric. I have five reports for you today. Uh, Commissioner Mohammed and Cho met as part of the Commission Ad Hoc Committee on Small Business on June 16. The committee hosted a roundtable with small business development organizations, including the SBA, Business Impact Northwest, One Eastside Spark, and Tabor 100. Discussions included barriers for small businesses and accessing opportunities current economic conditions impacting small businesses and possibly unbundling contracts into discrete parts as a means to build capacity of small businesses and the WMBE, 
DBE certification requirements and potential impacts to small businesses. The Portwide Arts and Culture Board met on June 20th with <coughs> Commissioner Fellowman in attendance. The board received an update on the Maritime and Economic Development Department art pool funding projected for the next five years from capital improvement project and ideas for developing maritime EDD art program. The board discussed the importance of integrating maritime EDD art program to the existing portwide arts program and the need for more transparency to maritime EDD art projects under the purview of the portwide arts and culture board. The board also received an update on the next step in the public board member appointment process to fill the vacancy. On June 20th, Commissioners Huskow and Calkins convened the Equity and Workforce Development Committee meeting. There were two items uh, for briefing and discussion, a high-level update on the WM, WMDBE barrier study and an update on the Equity Spending Accountability Project. Port staff and leadership will continue to advance these projects based on input from commissioners. Commissioners Huskow and Fellman convened the Sustainability, Environment and Climate Committee on June 20th where they were briefed on two items. The first is the sustainable evaluation framework in advancing the port's sustainability and equity goal in reducing the environmental and social impacts associated with capital projects and next steps based on lessons learned. The second item was the Pacific Northwest to Alaska Green Quarter project progress to date and next steps. Uh, Commissioners Fellman and Calkins convened the Waterfront Industrial Lands Committee uh, meeting on June 20th. During the meeting, they received updates on the City of Seattle's proposed industrial lands rezone and potential development of a new and renovated fishing pier at Pier 86. The committee also discussed options to delve into the Clean Trucks program in collaboration with the Northwest Seaport Alliance. This concludes my report. Thank you. Thank you so much, Erica. We've been busy. That's good. Um, are there any follow-up questions regarding committees? If so, please indicate if you would like to speak. Seeing none, we are now at the public comment section of our agenda. The Port Commission welcomes public comment as an important part of the public process. Comments are received and considered by Commission in its deliberations. Before we take public comment, I want to review our rules for in-person and virtual public comment. Each commentator will have two minutes to speak and should stay within the allotted time. A timer will appear on the screen and a buzzer will sound at the end of the two-minute period for each speaker. You must limit remarks to topics related to the conduct report business. These rules apply to introductory and concluding remarks. All remarks should be addressed by the commission as a body, not to individual commissioners. Disruptions of commission public meetings are prohibited. Disruptions include, but are not limited to, the following. Refusals of a speaker to limit remarks to topics related to the conduct report business, threats and abusive or harassing behavior and language, obscene language and gestures, refusal of a speaker to comply with the allotted time set for individual speakers' public comment, leaving the podium or testimony table to physically approach commissioners or staff during one's public comment, provided speakers may uh, offer written materials to the commission clerk, and any behavior that disrupts, disturbs, or otherwise impedes the meeting. Any disruption will result in a speaker's microphone being immediately shot off in a warning or loss of speaking privileges or removal from the meeting as provided in the commission's bylaws. Written materials provided to the clinic may, will be included in today's meeting record. The clerk has a list of those prepared to speak. We are taking comments from anyone who has signed up to speak virtually as well as anyone who has joined us in chambers. When I call your name, if you are joining virtual, please unmute yourself, then please repeat for your name um, for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of business. 
If you're on a Teams meeting and at the same time streaming the meeting on the website, please mute the website stream to avoid feedback. If you are speaking from the room, please come to the testimony table, repeat your name for the record, and state your topic related to the conduct of court business. All right. Our first speaker is Joel Kunzler. Joel, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you just fine. In church, Joe, Joe Kunzler here. Um, I have a few concerns about um, public comment administration and also, um, you know, I really want to thank the court for some of the good work you're doing as well. And uh, Great. I, that's my comments. Go ahead. All right, thank you. Um, you know, I uh, want to start with, um, you know, the public comment administration. Uh, I'm not going to name the troubled individual because he's a candidate for office, but uh, the troubled individual came to your last meeting and hurled hate at the interim chair, and I would appreciate it if this individual was censured and banned from your meetings for at least six months because this has become a pattern with him, and I found his behavior to be anti-American, racist, etc. And I want to apologize to Mr. Hasegawa for having to sit through that, and I wasn't there. Um, moving on, I want to commend the port very much for your work on biofuels and stuff. I really appreciate you guys doing a study session on it, so guys like I who also report on the port can learn from your experts in a available format and take the supplemental education, sort of like how public you know, public servants have to take continuing education. We who report on airport business need to have that continuing ed. So I really appreciate that. And uh, obviously, as someone who very much would like to fly on biofuel fueled flights, uh, I'm optimistic to one day actually knowingly do so. Um, I understand it has to be blended and all. But, uh, and uh, finally, if, if I may, with about 30 seconds left to go, I, am, I tried to lobby Alaska airports to get a boom, super, boom overture supersonic jet so we could all go supersonic theater because you're all awesome people. And I absolutely love the Port of Se Air Seattle Airport. It is the best airport in the world. And I would gladly debate anyone who says otherwise because getting to watch your jets fly is absolutely awesome. So keep being awesome, stand for the bullies, and... Uh, yeah, that's that's about it for my comments this fall. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joe. Uh, next on our list of speakers is Iris Antman. Iris, can you hear me? Uh, yes, I can hear you. Thank Great. you. Great. If you could state your full name for the uh, record and topic related to the conduct report business, and then we'll start the clock when you start. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Iris Antman. I'm a member of Seattle Cruise Control, and I'm addressing the harms of cruise. The climate crisis is here now. Global warming, caused primarily by fossil fuel burning, continues unabated. The actions that governments and corporations have taken to limit greenhouse gas emissions to date are positive, but so limited they have minimal impact. The critical and bold steps needed have not been forthcoming by the organizations that have the power to make them. Case in point, the port is working to install shore power at T66 by 2024, enabling cruise ships at port to run on electricity. This will benefit local communities' air and water quality, and important as this is, 
ship emissions while at birth account for less than 4% of total emissions, and therefore using shore power won't substantively reduce over. Critical and bold steps by the port would be to cap the number of cruise ship sailings to 2019 levels and then reduce those numbers until ships can sail without polluting the oceans and air and without emitting climate warming greenhouse gases. Green tech and a supposed green cruise corridor, as nice as they sound, will not address the carbon pollution problem we face. And spending time and money over the next few decades developing concepts that may have negligible results will be our undoing. It is time to make bold and uncomfortable decisions. These decisions are in your hands. The port must turn away from the cruise industry, as comfortable and familiar as it has become, and rather use its resources to creatively develop environmentally sound businesses. And I want to thank you for, for the good work that you're doing. The Pride Proclamation is beautiful. I know that you're all well-meaning well and, and, and wonderful people, and I just implore you to, to understand what we're facing and how you can positively impact uh, our, our difficulties. Thank you. Thank you, Iris. Thank you so much. Next on our list is Maria Batoyola. Maria, can you hear me? Thank you. Um, my name is Maria Batiola, and I'm commenting on item 10C, the SAMP environmental assessment. Um, Honorable President Cho, Vice, uh, Vice President Hatsugawa, Secretary of Solomon, Commissioners Mohammed, and Commissioner Calkin, I'm making this public comment and sent a detailed letter on behalf of the Beacon Hill Council, I'll send to the Lavasa King County International Airport Community Coalition. Quiet Skies Fugitown and 350 Seattle Aviation Team. They are raising the voices of over 400,000 residents living near the SeaTac Airport and under its flight path, or 64% people of color mixed race and 29% immigrants and refugees. Our communities experience inequitable environmental, health, and climate harms from SeaTac flight operations that are almost back to 450,000 flight operations pre-COVID levels. The SAMP or Sustainable Airport Master Plan would further harm our residents. Therefore, we respectively request that the Commission go beyond the proposed SAMP EA and approve a SAMP environmental impact um, statement for both near-term and long-term projects and fund it accordingly to ensure a cumulative impact analysis is conducted on all air, noise, and climate pollution produced by and facilitated by DTAC airport facilities and operations. Four years ago, we shared these concerns with Port Commissioners Cho and Bowman, wrote to you on January 17 of 2020 that led to the March 15, 2023 convening hosted by Vice President Atigao, where we made this very same request to her and to Secretary Fellman. I know that we both share the same care for our community, the planet, and our joint futures. Please remember that our health and our lives matter and they're not expendable. We're available for further dialogue and look forward to a positive response to our request for an EIS for both short-term and long-term. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. Next on our list is David Goebel. David, can you hear me? Yes, hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can. If you could restate your yes. name for the record and talk okay. about uh, it. David Goebel, President of Vashon Fair Skies, a 51C3. I'm speaking today regarding also item 10C, the very long-running SAMP, first authorized in 2015. 
On April, 27, on April 25th, 2017, over six years ago, David Sumi, the FAA's Northwest Mountain Regional Administrator, sat right there. If I was there today sitting at the podium, I'd be pointing to the bank of seats to my left, but the fair gods were not cooperative today, unfortunately. Uh, and described the next-gen focusing of half of Southwest arrived, South Flow arrivals over a 100-yard-wide strip of Vashon Island as the most significant change to commercial aviation in the Puget Sound region since the introduction of civilian radar after World War II. This radical change with zero outreach to the community most impacted by it, Vashon Island, was reviewed under the Greener Skies EA. It's Fonzie Rod, which is finding a no significant impact record of decision in, in NEPA speak, was executed in late 2012, but the changes over Vashon Island uh, described in it weren't actually substantially implemented until mid-2015. Yet in a draft of the SAMPA EA sent to the FAA in early 21, 2021, the cumulative impact chapter included a host of mundane projects, such as widening of South 144th Way, yet explicitly excluded the most significant change to the Puget Sound airspace in the last 70 years, the two new next-gen RNAVs. The RMPs were never fully implemented over, Puget, over uh, Elliott Bay. That's a whole other issue. This is unacceptable. The current SAMPA NEPA EA cumulative impact must include a full consideration of the Greener Skies EA as implemented. I repeat, as implemented. Full consideration of the next-gen impacts as implemented in the SAMP EA is a bright red line for Vashon and Fair Skies. Inclusion in the SEPA EIS is not a substitute. It must be in the federal NEPA. Um, and I'm sorry I didn't make it there, so I was really hoping to all see you in person again, and some of you for the first time, but uh, I'll make it again at some point in the future. Um, it's, the ferries were half an hour late today, and I would have missed it. All right, thank you. Thanks, David. Next is Peggy Prince. Peggy, can you hear me? I'm told that Peggy has left the meeting. Oh, okay. All right, so if I'm not mistaken, that concludes our sign-ups for today. Okay. Is there anyone else present on the team's call or present in the room today who didn't sign up who wishes to address the commission? If so, please state and spell your name and state the topic related to the conduct report business you wish to speak about for the record. All right, seeing none at this time, I'll ask the clerk to please give us a synopsis of any written comments received. Good afternoon, Mr. Commission President, members of the Commission, Executive Director Metric. We've received four written comments prior to our meeting today. These have been distributed to you in advance of the meeting and will become a part of the public record. Written comments um, today come from Laura Gibbons, who writes regarding item 10C on the agenda, stating that additional funding for NEPA and SEPA studies should be unnecessary, citing existing studies showing harmful effects of aviation on the climate and communities. She stated the funding should be used for additional mitigation for communities impacted by airport emissions and noise. The next written comment received is from Rosemary Moore, who writes regarding item 10C, stating that there are existing reports, including the IPCC report regarding aviation's contribution to global warming. She states that flights should be reduced and the funding for item 10C should go to funding alternate, cleaner forms of transport, such as long-haul electric rail, for additional mitigation and for additional mitigation for communities impacted by airport emissions and noise. And then we received written comments to support the spoken comments here today from both jo Joe Kunstler and Maria Batiola. So that concludes the written comments received today. Excellent. All right, hearing no further public testimony, we'll move on to the consent agenda. Items on the consent agenda are considered routine and would be adopted by one motion. Items removed from the consent agenda will be considered separately immediately after the adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. 
At this time, the Chair will entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda covering item 8A, 8B, 8C, 8D, 8E, 8F, and 8G. Is there a motion? So moved. Second. All right, the motion has been made and seconded. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. For approval of the consent agenda, beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you, and Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays. Great. The consent agenda is approved as presented. Thank you very much. Moving on in the agenda, we have three new business items today. Clerk Hart, please read the first item into the record, and Executive Director Metric will then introduce it. Thank you. This is agenda item 10A, authorization for the Executive Director to authorize $46 million of supplemental funding to meet current building code requirements and complete Phase B construction to approve the final guaranteed maximum price of $546 million for the overall program and to execute a tenant reimbursement agreement with Alaska Airlines for this portion of the work of the North Main Terminal Redevelopment Program at Seattle Tacoma International Airport. Commissioners, the modernization of the North Main Terminal, also known as the SEA Gateway Project, is a significant opportunity to enhance the traveler experience. It includes reconfiguring the 40-year-old terminal north end ticketing area, expanding the security checkpoint, and creating an updated light-filled space, light-filled open space, which will facilitate new technology and building standards to help passengers move quickly and easily through the terminal. The project is being done in partnership with Alaska Airlines. The $46 million project authorization increase is, was foreshadowed in the last presentation on this topic as an expected change. However, I want to be clear that these investments, which are mainly around the core infrastructure in that part of the airport, would have to be done eventually and were initially part of a future project. So while the budget will increase for this project, there will be a corresponding decrease in cost for a future capital investment. So the presenters today are uh, Alan Olson, Capital Project Manager in Aviation, uh, Rick Duncan, Director of Aviation Business of Properties, and uh, Randy Fritz, a Director of Airport Affairs, Alaska Air Group. Uh, and also we have uh, uh, other staff is available uh, to answer questions should they come up. So I guess, Alan, I'm turning over to you. Sure. Alan. I'll kick yeah. it off real quickly. Uh, or, okay. <laughs> good afternoon, uh, Commissioners. Thank you, um, Executive uh, Director Metric. Um, as mentioned, this is for an additional $46 million for the uh, final guaranteed maximum price of the overall program at $546 million. Uh, you last saw this TRA come through on uh, March 28th. Uh, we have some new eye candy to show you uh, for this project. Uh, hopefully this will be the last time we need anything from the Commission until the ribbon cutting ceremony. Um, ultimately the project will net an additional 11,000 in rentable square feet. Um, at today's rate that should be about 2.3 million a year in uh, additional rent. And uh, this was also approved by the MII uh, with an affirmed vote. Uh, 20 signatory airlines all voted, uh, not a single no on this. Um, so there's a lot of partnership here. Uh, a lot of folks really do um, see the benefit to this lobby. Um, and as mentioned, I'm joined with Alan Olson uh, the pro from the Project Management Group and Randy Kurtz from Alaska Airlines, uh, just to highlight the excitement and the collaboration for this project. Alan, kick it off. Uh, next slide. I believe this gives us a pretty good overview of what Rick just said. 
executive director metric. Uh, next slide. Can I get you to pull that mic a little bit closer to you, please? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes, we have an animation to share. Yes, the baggage claim. <laughs> Next slide, please. And as uh, we discussed earlier, this project is part of the SEA uh, Gateway Program, and uh, we've been working uh, in close cooperation. Uh, with our uh, external relations partners and uh, Alaska's communications uh, group to um, get the word out on this uh, this work and uh, I think we've been very successful in that effort up to this point next slide please and here are some of the uh, communications tactics that um, have been used by the team to get the word out to folks not only about uh, uh, 
the impacts that are being caused by this work, but also what great things there are in store. Next slide, please. So as, as we discussed, the, the port in Alaska have been working together on North Main Terminal Redevelopment Program since early 2019. And um, Alaska is taking the lead on designing and constructing uh, the work through a progressive design build uh, project delivery. And uh, we have a multi-phase tenant reimbursement agreement uh, with Alaska Airlines to cover this work. Um, and what we're doing here at the north end of the main terminal is going to be picked up by uh, future projects, uh, most name, uh, uh, most notably north, uh, excuse me, the main terminal in improvements program, which is um, in program development right now. Next slide, please. So as we discussed also, in 1968, the uh, main terminal was uh, designed for 25 million annual passengers, and now we are uh, getting very close to exceeding that and uh, during peak travel periods we're seeing significant con congestion in the Alaska ticketing area and in security screening checkpoint uh, five and all the other checkpoints as well uh, and it's worth noting that 50 percent of the passengers that are coming to the airport are transiting through this area so uh, the key the key benefits of this uh, this work are we are bringing these areas into compliance with current building and fire code. Um, we're addressing existing and anticipating near-term passenger uh, growth projections. Uh, we are incorporating some of the latest ad advances in passenger processing technology, um, some of which are actually uh, in operation right now. And uh, we also are updating the building finishes and upgrading the overall passenger experience of the Next slide, please. Uh, we did come to the SEAC uh, uh, committee in February of this year to uh, uh, present our sustainable evaluation framework. Um, we had had uh, multiple meetings uh, with uh, the, SPARC, the SPARC committee, and we did uh, then arrive at a sustainable design uh, strategy. And uh, just some quick highlights here we did uh, look at 45 different strategies and settled on 20 uh, we there's an estimated 19 tons of carbon that is going to be reduced annually it will cost four million dollars to implement these carbon reducing strategies over the life of the uh, facility which uh, equates to 165 to a thousand dollars per ton of carbon reduced we're on track to achieve lead silver for commercial interior Next slide, please. Here's a high-level overview of where the work is taking place. Uh, we're touching pretty much every part of the main terminal um, on one level or another. Uh, we're currently uh, active in phase A work, which uh, if you've been in the baggage claim or on the bridge level or even on the departures drive, you will, you will probably have seen uh, evidence of that. Uh, we're creating 24,000 square feet of new tenant and operational space on the bridge promenade, which requires a fair amount of work on the baggage claim level below, which is underway right now. Um, and we are beginning to do door, entry door relocations on the departures drive and uh, construct bump outs at the curtain wall uh, to accommodate existing ticketing and bag drop. 
Uh, phase B work, which we are hoping to begin in third quarter this year, is going to primarily be on the ticketing and mezzanine level, as well as security screening checkpoint number five. And uh, we are also in the process uh, completely uh, renovating the uh, restrooms adjacent to, to security screening checkpoint five. Next slide, please. Uh, phase B construction, excuse me, phase A construction is currently at 100% uh, design and phase B is at 90% design and we're expecting full uh, uh, building permits to be received by uh, the end of third quarter, uh, early fourth quarter this year. Next slide. Here's an overall high-level cost breakdown of uh, our previous requests plus this request, which is a bit of a summary. Um, as uh, Rick said earlier, we hope this is the last time we have to come back to see you guys to ask for additional funding. Uh, next slide. As we discussed when we came here on the 28th of March, uh, we were anticipating some additional costs um, up to 50 million and uh, this gives a breakdown of the 46 million that we are requesting. The two big uh, uh, areas are addressing code compliance and then design development. Next slide. Our current schedule summary, and you'll notice in the upper right hand corner we have we have inserted a soccer ball <laughs> for our uh, expected uh, passenger spike for uh, the FIFA World Cup. And uh, we are currently on track to be uh, at uh, substantial completion for the project by the end of May 2026. And we're continuing to work to better that schedule. Next slide, please. Some key program risks and mitigation. Um, operational impacts are the number one uh, with the highest impact. And we have been working ceaselessly with a large number of port and uh, other stakeholders to mitigate those impacts to the fullest extent possible. Um, there are going to be impacts uh, to this work, and we've been very clear about that from the beginning, but I believe through the, uh, the cooperation that we have with our, our ORAT uh, partners, um, external relations, uh, customer experience, airport dining and retail, and of course um, Alaska Air Group. We've been we've been able to minimize those to the fullest extent possible. And then there are a number of other projects that are taking place in the same footprint that that we are regularly coordinating with. Uh, most most recently with terminal security enhancements, uh, but also with the ongoing efforts of baggage optimization and several other uh, projects. Next slide. Um, here's a high-level overview of some of the uh, uh, construction and operational readiness plans that we've been with, that we've put in place. There have been several that have, that have been executed uh, up to this point, and there will be several more before the project is over. Next slide, please. 
And here are some uh, progress photos of the work that's taking place on the baggage claim and the promenade level, extending that floor uh, to create more uh, space on the, on the uh, bridge promenade. Next slide. Here is uh, the door three re 33 relocation, the first of the door relocations we're doing on the departures drive. That will be uh, hopefully operational by the end of August this year. We're on track for that. And then next slide, please. And here's work uh, that's taking place on the departures curbside to create a watertight uh, envelope for the bridge promenade level down on the uh, level below. Next slide. Here's some shots of the, some of the new technology that Alaska has uh, put in place during the work at zone at the far north end of the ticketing area. Um, and there is uh, more of this type of work to come on the ticketing level and it's all being phased. Next slide. Now we'll turn it over to Randy Pierce. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Rick. Um, just all I, I, I testified a few months ago on the same project. Um, just want to repeat uh, how much we at Alaska really appreciate the collaboration with the Port of Seattle, uh, with Lance and his his entire team. Uh, it's uh, it's it, it's hard work and uh, it's difficult to sort of go first, but we know that we're also you know, going to be setting the standard for the rest of the terminal. So we want to make sure that all those pieces fit together, as I know the port does too. Um, and uh, we're just very enthusiastic and excited about this project. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for the presentation. Very exciting to see the, the, the video and the rendering and the pictures of the work. Are there any questions for, for staff at this time from commissioners? Commissioner Calkins. Um, I don't, I don't know if I've got too many questions, um, but wanted to make a few comments about the project and, and um, why I continue to support it in spite of the, the additional costs. I, on the one hand, I understand that virtually every capital project right now is experiencing these uh, cost overruns because of the inflationary environment and uh, how difficult it is to find contractors and laborers and all of the issues that we hear across the seaport and the airport and everywhere. Um, and so uh, I'm sympathetic, certainly. Um, I also want to just talk a little bit about the importance of this project for the airport as a whole and uh, frame why I think it's, it's so essential that we fund it. One is that, you know, essentially we're working with a shell that was built for an aviation concept that is quite out of date, that it was uh, prior to 9-11, uh, prior to the anticipated crowds that we're now receiving at SEA. And so what we have asked designers to do is to take that existing shell and maximize it for the new aviation reality. And that's why you see such interesting innovations, the, you know, the bump outs to the drive that allow for essentially some of the processing work that would be done further into the airport in spaces that were you know, exterior prior to this, or taking the promenade level and using that for spaces that are maybe not as much customer facing, but where some of the back, uh, back office aspects of an airport operations have to happen. Uh, we're also doing a few things to um, make the, our use of space more efficient. 
Uh, and Alaska has been truly innovative on that. And I appreciate that in a lot of ways, because we are one of the smallest footprints per passenger operations, we need to do it here. We need to innovate on these things because, you know, a, a Denver type airport with 17,000 acres, they've got the luxury of spreading out if they need to. We don't. We've got to make use of the space really efficiently. The other thing that we're doing because of that is uh, we're pushing activities offsite that might otherwise happen here. And, and our carrier partners are leading on that as well, using technology to allow for people to do parts of the check-in process that would otherwise have to be done on the airport. And so by doing so, you minimize the amount of time that customers are standing in front of customer service agents or at TSA or elsewhere. And again, reducing the amount of sort of friction between curb and gate. And that's really, really important in these things. Uh, we're also trying to work to reduce redundancies. I think all of us as travelers understand what it's like when you get to the airport and how many times do you have to pull out your ID or your ticket or your the QR code for your from your phone. If we can reduce the number of times that people have to do that, it may sound simple, but if you think about what the difference between 90 seconds in front of a ticket counter versus 45 seconds, it doesn't make a big deal for you, but if there's a thousand people trying to get on five flights in an hour, those 45 extra seconds can mean the difference between somebody making a flight or not, or having time to go and patronize one of our restaurants or not, which is also important. And so this project as a sort of first in kind for us at SEA is extraordinarily important to get right. And uh, it also is done in such a way that will allow us to build out the rest of the airport with some of the learnings from this and also in a similar design so that we're not creating a patchwork quilt of different experiences based on which carrier you're coming to fly with on any given day. Uh, the, the final thing I would say is a little bit of uh, an advanced warning um, about what we anticipate to come, which is we are solving that first engagement you have when you uh, arrive at the airport as you, you know, check in your bag or if you need to check in to get ticketed or whatever. But what comes next is, is airport security, is getting through a TSA checkpoint. And that's something where I think the airport and our carriers are deeply committed to working with the federal government to streamline that process. Uh, because if you've been at the airport this week, you know that's where the real line, long lines are. And no matter how many staff we throw at it, how many additional TSA agents we're able to, to get committed to the airport, if that process still takes a really long time on an individual basis, we will always have that kind of backup. And so one thing that I'm really encouraging us as a collective, uh, you know, not just the port or our carrier airlines, but all of us together, is to work with the federal government on figuring out ways where we can ensure safety and security, but also reduce the amount of time that folks spend in the security process so that we're able to get them to the gates quickly uh, for me, it's getting them to the fun side of the airport, where the dining and retail is, where they you know, get to relax and read the paper or their book or listen to a podcast as they're waiting for their uh, flight to arrive, where they can spend some money at our tenants. So um, for that, I think that we need to be thinking about that really conscientiously now as, as we think about the next step for um, continuing to make SEA the best airport in North America. Thank you, Commissioner Calkins, Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you for the time. I really appreciate the comments that Commissioner Calkins has made. Um, 
that this this project is really more so about enhancing safety and making sure that people can go in and out of our airport in the smoothest way um, and so less about beautification and more about safety. I think sometimes when people see these animations and these changes, they do get in the mindset of we're trying to just make the airport look better and so there's we're trying to do both and, and I appreciate those comments. I just wanted to say that. Um, my, my question to staff is um, could you just provide more details about the specific building code requirements that is um, requiring these additional dollars. Were you guys not aware of that before the project began? Like when, when did that change happen? I'm having a hard time following that. So we were aware of, uh, at a high level, of, of what the building code requirements were, especially as regard, uh, regards life safety. But we weren't really clear on the extent to which we were going to have to go uh, with some of these items uh, until we were able to sit down with the uh, Port of Seattle Fire Department and, and the uh, Airport Building Department and, and really uh, get deep into the, into the code and figure out exactly what the areas were that needed to, needed to have attention in order for this scope of work uh, to be occupied by the time we were done constructing it. That was not very clearly understood at the beginning. It's been a it's been a learning process. Okay, great. And was there any sort of new information that daylighted some of that that had to do with the pandemic changes or any sort of um, outside issues? Like, were, were we not able to make some predictions based off of what other airports have done or other projects that have happened? No, I don't. I don't believe so. It was more of a discovery process. Uh, we had a very good idea from the project definition document, uh, you know, what the areas were that required attention. But uh, it wasn't until we actually got deep into the design that we understood the, the extent of some of the issues, like uh, the fireproofing of the vertical utility shafts and, and, and how extensive that work was, um, just, just as an example. That's really, that's really helpful. Um, the other, my last question is around, um, I know you've shared some of this in other presentations, but maybe you could remind us around the um, security screening checkpoint five. What are the changes that are being made there to enhance security and safety? You mean to make it uh, uh, more efficient? So Correct. In instead of having the staggered lanes um, in the layout that they are in right now, the, the space that is currently being used adjacent to security screening checkpoint five that was former back of house offices is going to be taken over and that's going to allow us to put six abreast screening lanes and a much larger queuing area that begins back um, you know in zone six uh, that is going to take some of the pressure off of, of uh, the area in the uh, esplanade that is currently overflowing. And then post-security, there's going to be an actual recompose area where people can get their, uh, their luggage together, you know, get their belt and shoes on. There's going to be more than three benches. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to make things a lot easier and, and hopefully move much more smoothly. And there is a provision for a seventh screening lane to be added in the future. Great. 
Um, I, and I know you guys are stagnating these, these projects that are coming online at different times. When is the, the, that checkpoint five changes coming online? Like when, when will that be done? Or is it all around the same exact time? It will, it will be finished by the end of May 2026 per the current schedule. Okay, great. Thank you. That concludes my question. Thank you for the time. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Any other questions? Commissioner Fallman? Thanks again. I, you know, I've said before, but I think this is the single biggest transformation of the entry to the airport we're going to see yet, and um, really will set the tone for all the great stuff that's going on behind it. And so, I'm very excited about seeing this happen. And I had the pleasure of going to the Alaska Airlines Aviation Day to play with the new technology, which I guess has been in Europe for a while, but um, but it really looks like you know R2D2. It's pretty pretty space age and I, I think people will learn how to use it pretty quickly but we know it works so that's a that's a good thing with regards to the uh, TSA stuff though um, I think those new scanners are actually slower so um, which is disconcerting you know that we have better perhaps better technology to scan but it takes longer to get through and I'm really wondering about that decision but that's not your direct problem but it does seem to undermine the good work that you are doing. But just for clarity in terms of today's vote, it, um, this isn't about labor shortages and inflation and stuff. This is about doing additional work, right? And so we are getting more for the, you know, we're paying for something that we actually are gaining, right? And um, it was just a miscalculation in terms of quite how much that was going to add to the bill. Correct. All right. Well, it's a, uh, Looking forward to it. Uh, the only challenge I see here is, of course, doing it while you're operating. So, uh, again, my best to you on that. You know, and just for some perspective, I, I was joking with the team that um, I was in fifth grade when the main terminal opened in 1970. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, it's definitely in need of. Well, I won't start by telling you how old I was in 1970, <laughs> but I will. A twinkle in the eye. <laughs> but, but I will also pile on and thank you and our partners at Alaska Airlines for this project. Uh, you know, Commissioner Calkins and I uh, had recently an opportunity to meet with Alaska Airlines leadership and learn more about the world-class hub that uh, you all are trying to build here at Seattle Tacoma International Airport. And I will say that it's very exciting to see the initiative and uh, the, the ambition. Um, as you all know, our goal is to become a five-star airport. And this project is, is one of many projects that will hopefully get us to that point. Um, you know, obviously, it, this project is a part of a larger ecosystem within this airport. And if there's anything that I've learned about airport operations in the last four years is that airport operations is a lot like a balloon. When you squeeze it, something pops out somewhere else. And we can solve a problem on the front end of our airport, but then that, create, that could create congestion or problems elsewhere, like at TSA or with baggage, baggage handling. And so, um, you know, as excited as I am about this project and all the amazing technology we'll be bringing here, I hope that we are also skiing to where the puck is going and thinking about how this will have implications for the broader ecosystem at our airport. Uh, and hopefully we will have plenty of lessons learned for the rest of the terminal and uh, areas of the airport. So uh, thank you so much again for all the great work and uh, really looking forward to seeing this done by, for the World Cup.
All right, hearing no further questions for this item, is there a motion and a second? So moved. Second. Great, the motion was made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Thank you, beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Hoskawa. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you, and Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you, five A's, I's, zero nays for this item. And I'm sorry, I just want to note that we um, have lost our camera a couple of times during this meeting. We're having a little bit of technical difficulty. Okay. Um, but it, it will come back on. Thank you. Excellent. The motion passes. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record. Executive Director Metric, please then introduce it. Thank you, team. Appreciate it. Thank you. This is agenda item 10B, authorization for the executive director to increase the authorized total budget for the Concourse A building expansion for lounges project by $21,507,000 and to increase the tenant reimbursement agreement budget from $89,960,000 to $111,508,000 for a total estimated project cost of $126,507,000. Commissioners, this budget authorization increase request for the Concourse A lounge expansion was initially identified in May 2022. However, the Port of Seattle was not able to validate the additional $3 million prior to the May 2022 commission request. To advance the project, the Port held the $3 million until the cost validations were finalized. We now are ready to proceed with this project, which is being done in partnership with Delta Airlines. Uh, uh, to present, we have again Rick Duncan, Director of Aviation Business Properties, and uh, Aaron Gora, Capital Project Manager of Aviation. So. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, good afternoon once again. Um, so, the travel industry has shifted a bit, and um, airport lounges are getting more and more important. Um, the the partnerships with credit cards, with third-party vendors like um, Priority Pass, airline allowances really allow just the, the normal traveler and the family to, to have access to these lounges. It's, it's no longer just the first class executives. And um, so, and it also provides a secondary benefit of when you have overcrowded hold rooms, it's additional space for people to kind of hang out, have some snacks and, and wait for their flight. Um, this uh, also a lucrative benefit of bringing in more non-aero revenue, which, which helps the port uh, immensely. So um, upon the completion of this project, the Port of Seattle will have an additional 35,000 square feet of rentable space for two new lounges. Uh, one will be for Delta, and the second will be an expanded common use lounge uh, owned by Seattle. Um, the revenues from this uh, expanded lounge, uh, we anticipate to break even on in 2030 and have approximately three million in net cash flow by 2035. Um, we are joined here as mentioned by uh, the project management group and also uh, Three executives from Delta have flown in uh, from Atlanta to sh show support for this project. Uh, Brian Miller, Scott Meter, and Jeff Blackstock are here as well to answer any kind of questions uh, you might have. Aaron? Hi, thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Aaron Gora, and I'm the program leader for the tenant program here at the airport. As Rick mentioned, we're here today to request an additional budget increase for the Concourse A building expansion for lounges. In today's presentation, I'll be providing a brief description, justification for the request, and also a high-level overview of all of the cost increases to date in support of our request for an additional $21.5 million. Next slide. 
Delta has designed and is currently under construction of the approximate 52,000 square foot building expansion at the end of Concourse A. This project is being developed by a tenant reimbursement agreement. This project will also incorporate a new passenger lounge for Delta and provide a new build-out space for the future club at SEA. Next slide. Delta has notified the port of additional project increases and escalations during their efforts to execute the final guaranteed maximum price with their contractor. These cost increases are a direct result of one, a delayed construction start and subsequent increases in the overall project duration, and two, escalation in construction costs for materials and labor. There's also a extremely high degree of volatility in the construction market, which has impacted the global supply chains. Of the impacts that I've just listed, only one of those was within the project control, and that was the delayed construction start. Those delays were attributed to an extended permitting review period, which required multiple design packages to achieve a permit. Additionally, the port had to outsource the building department's code compliance review to a third party due to the staff's limited capacity to conduct that review in-house. Next slide. Delineated in blue is the project location on the east side of Concourse A, across from gate A11 and directly south of the IAF. Next slide. When complete, this project will provide a new passenger lounge for Delta on the top floor and provide a new build-out space for the port's future common use lounge or club at SEA on the bottom. Next slide. Next, I'd like to provide a high-level overview of the project cost increases requested thus far. In December of 2021, the project received commission authorization for a total project value of $78.5 million, with $66 million allocated to the TRA. Project costs at that time were based off the 60% design package. Staff returned in May of 2022 to request an additional increase of $26.5 million, bringing the new total project value to $105 million. Um, 90 of that was allocated to the TRA. The major cost drivers that were associated with our May 2022 commission request incorporated the additional cost based on the design progression from the 60% design package to the 100% design package as well as substantial increases in the construction materials as a result of that escalation. Before we move forward, it's really important that I elaborate on a few elements concerning the fixed guaranteed maximum price. Without an FGMP to contractually lock in the construction pricing, all parties were susceptible to increases in escalation and construction costs. Delta for their cost associated with their lounge build out and then the port for our reimbursable scoped items. As outlined in the commission memo, the FGMP was not executed after our May 2022 budget increase because the port was not able to validate approximately 3 million of the proposed project increases. To advance the project and avoid further construction delays, both Delta and the port collaboratively agreed to start the enabling work for the concourse expansion while all of those negotiations took place to resolve those $3 million in dispute. As such, Delta and their selected contractor executed a partial guaranteed maximum price so that they could begin the work. 
This partial agreement, however, did not protect Delta or the port from um, additional cost increases attributed to escalation. Our June request today is to increase the total project budget by approximately 21 million. This budget increase incorporates all project increases as a result of escalation since May of 2022 and the design progression through the permitting process, which was completed in August of 2022. Since then, all negotiations between Delta and the port have concluded and all project costs have been successfully validated. Next slide. Today, we are requesting to increase the overall TRA budget, excuse me, from roughly 90 million to approximately 111 million. This would bring the total project value to approximately 126.5 million. Next slide. Thank you so much for your time today. Do you guys have any questions? Thanks for the presentation. Any questions from commissioners? All right, Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you for the time. Sorry, I couldn't find my mute button there for a second. Um, well, first of all, thank you for the presentation and the information that you've shared. Um, I just wanted to ask uh, a clarifying question, uh, specifically for the public's benefit. How will the funds be uh, sourced? Specifically, will all of the funds for this particular project come from the tenant reimbursement and uh, and not from taxpayers' dollars or tax levy funds? I just want to make sure of that. Yeah, it'll come from the airline rates and charges, 77% of it, and then the remainder will be from airport dining and retail, um, all recovered through rent. And then, of course, the eventual uh, income from the common use lounge. Thank you. That was my only question. Great. Commissioner uh, Coggins? Just a couple of uh, kind of technical questions, and I think this probably applies to both projects here. So forgive me earlier for, as Commissioner Fallon pointed out, I used uh, second action item talking points on the first action item, but so I, I do appreciate that we're in an inflation rate, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, my, my question is, you know, we're doing a tenant reimbursement here. So it sounds like the tenant is financing the initial cost of the construction, and then we will reimburse them, and I suppose they, you know, issue us invoices and we sell check and we write him a check. Um, I don't know if Dan Thomas is on, but I'm curious, you know, for these big capital projects, we often will use bonds to cover the, the costs of them and whether it's geo bonds or revenue bonds or of some sort. But I would be curious to know, are we still able to use that kind of bonding capacity for projects that are built out by tenants like this project? Um, and if the current rate environment is increasing the anticipated cost of the, the port over the life of the project, because we're in a little bit higher um, rate environment. I don't know if that's a question for Dan Thomas or Heidi, if she's on the line. I'm not sure if she is or in the room. Commissioner, this is Dan Thomas. I'm on the line. Um, so, yes, to the extent that port funds are ultimately used for the project, even if it's a tenant reimbursement project, we can issue bonds for that. In this case, there would be airport revenue bonds. <clears throat> and we don't have a, a 
bond issues scheduled for this year because we have adequate funds, but we are anticipating likely issuing bonds next year. So while the fact that interest rates are higher now, we've got another year to go and hopefully rates will ease up a bit before we get to that point. But as you know, we always uh, face fluctuating interest costs, interest rates. Okay, thanks, that's helpful. And then um, the other question I had is, uh, I know that often in, you know, maybe not in this type of project, but often as a part of financing any big project, we're also looking for grant opportunities from federal government, even state government, certainly on the seaport side, where we're often, you know, projects pencil out because of support from grants. Uh, when we use a TRA model, do we limit our ability to pursue grants for this? And are there any that could support a project like this? So I'm no, by no means a FAA grant assurance expert, but um, I believe because this is a revenue generating, you know, concept, um, you can't use, you know, FAA grants for it. Um, if there are other grants, I, I'm not sure. But. I'm seeing a lot of assenting nods in the audience too from other <laughs> experts. So, okay, I appreciate that. I figured, yeah, they're probably not going to support this kind of thing versus, you know, uh, repaving the runway or something. But, um, okay, thank you. And thanks for the presentation. Commissioner Feldman. Thank you very much. I have a one very appreciative statement here that the transparency in which you show the changes from the beginning through the process, this is exactly how I would, so we know where we started and why things changed along the way. So thank you very much. Great communication tool. Um, the the one thing I saw was, was there, was this subject to any of the sustainable evaluation framework or there any things added to this building design that would be above and beyond code for energy reduction, water savings, anything of that sort? Um, Delta's doing their own version of design for their lounge. So um, they do have um, elements pertaining to what they're doing on their TI side. For the club at SEA, we're about 60% design. And so we are still developing what that design looks like. So I don't have a finalized answer for you just yet in terms of any of those sustainable items. Um, like I said, we're about 60% right now. It's usually we, it comes before the uh, CC committee. We changed the name of it. I'll never <laughs> remember it. The, um, at, at about 30% design, there's at some discussion about engineering. And one of the things that we've learned over the years is that the earlier you start those conversations, it's a lot easier to build them into the design than trying to tack something on later on. So um, anyway, I, and, and I would assume, quite frankly, that some of those sort of things, if you're putting solar cells or whatever on a project, those might be grant eligible. You know, I would imagine that those are the places where infrastructure grants and things like that could actually under underwrite some of those additional costs. So. To the degree we think about those things earlier than later, that's great. I know C Concourse, we have all sorts of stuff in, in the making for that. So anyway, thanks again for the transparency. My pleasure. Great. Uh, any other questions from commissioners? All right. Hearing no further questions for this item, is there a motion and a second? So moved. Second. Great, the motion was made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Thank you, beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. 
Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you, and Commissioner Cho. Aye. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. Excellent. The motion passes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record. Executive Director Manitrick will then introduce it. Thank you. This is agenda item 10C, authorization for the Executive Director to execute an amendment to the existing Sustainable Airport Master Plan, Environmental Review, Personal Services Agreement with Landrum and Brown for an increase of $2,350,000 and a total contract amount of $8,750,000. Commissioners, as you know, the port is in the midst of an environmental review process for 30 projects at SEA which are collectively part of the Sustainable Aviation Master Plan, or SAMP. Due to the impacts of the pandemic and our desire to ensure the accuracy and the comprehensiveness of the environmental review, we announced last year that our timeline to release a draft environmental analysis has been pushed to the end of next year. This requested budget authorization will incre increase will cover the additional analysis and related activities to deliver on that updated timeline. Please note that we are committed to a robust public engagement process as part of the draft environmental analysis. And so your approval of these funds will get us to the point where we can fully engage our stakeholders and constituents in soliciting their feedback on these 30 projects. I know that many, many members of the community are looking forward to that opportunity and we are looking, working hard to meet this timeline. I will emphasize that completing the environmental review is only one step in a longer process for you as commissioners to ultimately decide whether and when to authorize construction on any individual project. So the presenters this afternoon are Sarah Cox, Director, Aviation Environment and Sustainability, Steve Reibolt, Senior Environmental Program Manager, and Arv Gauss, Aviation Chief Operating Officer. So I don't know, Arv, are you beginning or Sarah? Sarah. Thank you, Executive Director Metric, and good afternoon, Commissioners. I'm Sarah Cox, the Director of Aviation Environment and Sustainability. Today we are re here requesting to increase the Sustainable Airport Master Plan near-term projects environmental review contract budget by $2.35 million for a total contract value of $8.75 million. This funding supports analysis and schedule impacts related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Arif Gauss, our Aviation Chief Operating Officer, will start by discussing the purpose and importance of the Sustainable Airport Master Plan near-term projects and then Steve Reibel, our Senior Environmental Program Manager and the Project Manager for the Sustainable Airport Master Plan Near-Term Project Environmental Review, will provide an update on the various near-term projects, the recently updated aviation demand forecast, our schedule update, and rationale for today's budget increase request. And I will now turn it over to Arif. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Commissioners, thank you for the opportunity to introduce today's item. Before we go into the specifics of today's budget request, I wanted to give you some overall background on why the port is currently undertaking the environment review. An airport master plan is a standard process that airports undergo in conjunction with the FAA on a regular basis. The focus of these planning efforts is to accommodate projected passenger demand in a way that meets federal standards related to safety and operational efficiency. This planning process is particularly important in our region, given that SCA serves as a primary commercial service and air cargo facility in our region. And given 
the State Legislature's recent decision to sunset the Commercial Aviation Coordinating Committee, we expect to continue to play that role for the foreseeable future. At SEA, we call our planning process Sustainable Airport Master Plan, or SAM, to demonstrate our commitment to including sustainability in all our thinking about these projects. In particular, we are currently undertaking environmental review of 30 projects that range all the way from airfield improvements to roadway enhancements to proposed 19-gate north terminal facility. Again, these projects are specifically targeted towards accommodating demand that we believe is coming to the region so that SCA does not serve as a choke point to future economic growth. As the Executive Director Metric just stated, the additional funds that are being requested today are required because of the work to update our demand forecast and plan for a new opening year for the 2023, new opening year of 2032 for the projects instead of 2027. We know the public expects us to be as accurate and comprehensive as possible in our environmental review efforts. And so this additional investment will help us to ensure the highest quality product for our constituents to be able to respond to during the public comment period on the draft environmental review. As a reminder, once environmental review is completed, all project authorization requests come before the Commission to consider for approval. Whether and when these projects are approved and constructed, SCA will continue to see future demand for passenger and cargo growth. The question is how well will we serve it and how will we simultaneously meet our environmental, sustainability and quality of life goals. I'm pleased now to turn things over to Steve Rival to walk you through the presentation. Next slide, please. Good afternoon, Commissioners and Executive Director Metric. The near-term projects were identified as part of the Sustainable Airport Master Plan. These projects were identified as reasonable and foreseeable. The near-term projects are currently what is in environmental review. The Sustainable Airport Master Plan also identified a suite of projects known as the long-term vision, projects that are well into the future and will require additional planning and environmental review. What you see on the screen are the five purpose and needs of the Sustainable Airport Master Plan, near-term projects, environment review. One, a need for additional gates and processing facilities. Two, a need for additional cargo facilities. Three, update of airfield infrastructure to meet FAA standards. Four, updates to the airfield to improve efficiency. And five, a need for additional fuel storage that support the port's sustainable aviation fuel initiative. Next slide. This is an aerial of SeaTac International Airport depicting the proposed near-term projects. The right side of the screen is north. Near-term project highlights include a new terminal with 19 new gates. These are identified in blue near the bottom of the screen. Additional passenger and employee parking. These sites are located adjacent to the new gates near the bottom of the screen and the blue box adjacent to the existing north employee parking lot on the right side of the screen. Additional roadway improvements that would align the roadway parallel to the link light rail. This is shown in light blue, again near the bottom of the screen. An automated people mover with three stations to connect the rental car facility, new terminal, and main terminal. This is shown at the black dotted line, again at the bottom of the screen. A new aircraft rescue and firefighting facility, or ARF. This is shown at the blue polygon at the south end of the runway. This is now on the left side of the screen. Various airfield improvements to enhance safety and efficiency. These are identified as red and orange on the runway area. 
a west side maintenance campus, a project to accommodate the displacement of facilities from the new terminal. This is shown as orange-brown at the top of the screen. Additional jet fuel capacity to support the Port Sustainable Aviation Fuel Initiative. These are shown as the green polygons on the south side of the airport and to the left of your screen. Next slide. This slide is a visual representation of the updated aviation demand forecast and the constrained operating growth scenarios that were recently completed. Uh, this was last updated and presented to Commission in early 2020. It was recently updated at the request of, request of FAA as growth at SeaTac has changed as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. In this diagram, the blue line represents the updated aviation demand forecast where SeaTac has no constraints. The gray to orange line shows a no action alternative or without the near-term projects. If the airport does not build the SAMP near-term projects, SeaTac will be limited by gates and places to park aircraft. Not building gates or additional aircraft parking will limit growth at SeaTac. However, the airport would still see minor growth since airlines will find ways to squeeze additional operations into the facility. The continuous gray line shows the proposed action or with the near-term projects. Around 2031, you see an increase in growth when gates and other projects come online. However, not long after the second terminal and north gates open, the airport will be in a constrained environment with minimal growth. The key takeaway is so related to the updated demand forecast, passenger and operations at SeaTac are recovering slower than anticipated. The new forecast is approximately 5 million annual passengers less in 2032 than was identified in the 2019 constrained operating growth scenario. We will continue to use the constrained operating growth scenario as these new numbers more adequately reflect current and future environmental conditions. All of these considerations ensure that we are using the most accurate and up-to-date information to complete a thorough environmental analysis. Next slide. This slide represents the current schedule for the National Environmental Policy Act and State Environmental Policy Act documentation. This includes the release of draft documents, agency and public comment periods, and anticipated completion dates. The green dots represent key milestones. The blue dots represent milestones where agency and community engagement occurs. Looking forward, key updates to the schedule include agency and public review of the NEPA environmental assessment that's anticipated in late 2024, a decision from the FAA on the NEPA environmental assessment that's anticipated in early to mid 2025, the release of the SEPA environmental impact statement for agency and public review that is anticipated in mid-2025, a decision from the port on the SEPA environmental impact statement that's anticipated at the end of 2025, and that would conclude the environmental review process for the SAMP near-term projects. I want to emphasize that the completion of the Sustainable Airport Master Plan near-term project environmental review does not approve projects to move forward. The capital development team must come back to the commission to approve projects. This is the same approval process that occurs today for other projects. The environmental team will continue to conduct an objective environmental review with a thorough analysis to identify any potential environmental impacts of the NTPs or near-term projects. If there are any additional impacts to the schedule, we'll continue to keep you updated. Next slide. We are here today to request $2.35 million. This request is for a contract budget increase due to impacts and delays resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic. This funding request continues to reserve funds for a robust outreach and engagement program. 
As a result of the pandemic, we had to change the year the port anticipated having a sustainable airport master plan near-term projects to be operational or substantially complete. Originally, this was 2027, it's now 2032. At the request of the FAA, we have updated the aviation demand forecasts to reflect the current conditions at SeaTac as we recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. As identified on the previous slide, and while this took time to update, it ensures that we are using the most up-to-date forecast numbers that are the basis for the environmental review. With the update of the opening year to 2032 and a new aviation demand forecast, this has resulted in a need to update the technical analysis. This is a huge undertaking. It will take months to complete. Next slide. At this time, we are requesting Commission's authorization to increase the Sustainable Airport Master Plan environmental contract by $2.35 million for a total contract value of $8.75 million. Thank you, and this concludes our presentation. Great. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and open it up for questions from Commissioners. Let's see if we check with the... All right, Commissioner Feldman. Thank you very much for this. It's a, a long process. And I, I was, I'm just confused by one of the statements that was made by, um, on, pay, on, a, on the graphic before. Um, the, 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 the statement I thought I heard was that the growth was slower than expected. And so they're using this constrained model, but we just heard in the morning that we're exceeding any numbers that we had before. So. What, is, is this um, in that? And I understand you're updating the numbers to reflect the current growth, but I, I just don't understand the explanation of the figure when you talk about the expectation. Because I know international travel is slower than we expected, but overall numbers are up, right? Yeah. So I, I can briefly discuss. That. I am not a forecast expert, first and foremost. Those are very technical individuals. Uh, what you're hearing, the the individual days are peak forecasts days that we're getting right now. This forecast is reflective of the annual growth. What we saw previously in 2019, we had a higher annual growth rate over time. What we're seeing now with an updated forecast is now a lower annual growth over time. Peak versus total. Yes, Thank you. Correct. Answers the question. Appreciate it. And, and so, but I guess one other thing was, so the bottom line is this is money for additional analysis to understand the impacts associated with the project given the delays and the maybe better specificity on what those projects are. But That's correct. We, we completed a majority of our analysis initially before the pandemic. Uh, with the updated forecast and the new construction years, we have to essentially start over. So we're updating all or starting everything from scratch at this point. So it's all for technical analysis. And again, I want to emphasize this reserves money for a robust public outreach and engagement strategy as well. So we were spending money that now we preserve that money so we can do the public outreach with this money in the bank. It basically, it's backfilling a little bit. Correct. Yes. Then. All right. And so, but the bottom line is we will ha then have the most up-to-date information as commissioners to make decisions on a per-project basis whether they move forward. Yes. Uh, while there's a delay, there's also positive having more accurate and updated numbers for our environmental analysis. Thank you very much. Great. Any other questions? Commissioner Calkins? Uh, just to echo, I think um, 
a sentiment that I think is uh, probably reflected across the Commission, which is we are interested in the most robust, comprehensive analysis possible for these questions that are have huge implications for our institution and for the communities around us. We are supportive of um, going over and above on community engagement. And uh, you know, when a matter like this comes before us, where um, you know these things cost money and we need a, additional authorization to ensure that gets done, I happily support that. Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you for the time. Um, I echo the words of my, my colleagues. I do have one question um, regarding just when we will receive the comprehensive plan and the work scope around the outreach plan. So maybe I'll start with my question. When, when, when will we expect to receive that comprehensive plan and um, work scope, and when will that be available to the public? Yeah, so Great question. Thank you, Commissioner. We anticipate the release of the draft NEPA environmental assessment in late 2024. Uh, we will have a updated um, engagement plan probably in mid-2024, and we're happy to share that with you. Okay, great. Um, you know, I, I'm planning to support this item today, and I will say I just recently had a conversation with someone um, who lives in South King County. It was a, a group, and one of the things that they said was that, you know, they, they hope that the START Committee should not be the sole group consulting the port when it comes to SAMP projects. And I think th this action today, I believe, shows our commitment to thoroughly and comprehensively provide an outreach plan and not only do the technical analysis of the project, but really g it gives the, the commissioners the opportunity to also support that robust, comprehensive um, outreach plan so that everyone's voice could be heard and that you know we do uh you know we all prioritize our uh engagement stakeholder engagement and that is our intent here and i i also just want to underscore that construction activities will not take place without the approval of commissioners it takes a commission vote to approve those things and you know we intend to um do do this work in a way that's diligent and doing our due diligence as well as um, you know, prepare to exercise our power when needed. Thank you for the time. Any others? Commissioner Hazagawa. Thank you, President Cho. So just to clarify the timeline, the NEPA environmental assessment draft document will be ready by Q4 of 2024. Yes, we are currently on schedule to release the draft NEPA EA uh, in late 2024. And then the opportunity for public comment after that will happen in Q1 of 2025. It will happen at the time of the release of the document. So when we release it, there will be an extended public comment period uh, where we'll release the document to both the agency and the public. There'll be a variety of At which point we will move into the SEPA process for an environmental impact statement. Yes, the NEPA environmental assessment will be followed by a state environmental policy act or SEPA environmental impact statement. And the SEPA EIS process will take place over the course of 2025. That's correct, Commissioner. And there will be a time for, um, and the public will receive that those results with full transparency and all the same information that the commissioners will also receive. And the public will have the opportunity to be, be able to 
Oh, Toshiko, you uh, you froze on us. Yeah, I was wondering if it's me. I think it's just her end. Yeah. Provide input on that. Toshiko, Hello? you froze on us. Can you ask that last question? Can you hear me now? There you go. Can you ask that last question again? Can you? Yeah, I'm gonna turn my camera off so I don't get frozen on a funny face because a good <laughs> photo of me public speaking does not exist. Um, after the SIPA EIS, there will be an opportunity for the public to be able to. They will receive the results at the same time as the commission they will have an opportunity to be able to provide public input yes yeah, so the way the process will work is that we'll release the draft nepa ea there'll be a public comment period all those comments that we received as part of the nepa process will be available to the commissioners and the public to review once nepa is finalized by the federal aviation administration will start the, the sepa eis there'll be a public comment period associated with that and then we'll also be able to share the outcome of all those public comments before the port issues a final um, document and decision on the SEPA process. And then in 2026, that's when the commission begins to receive projects on a project-by-project -project basis and we'll be able to consider them. That's correct. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate clarity on, on the process to come. Great, and uh, I think Commissioner Feldman had one last comment to make. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, two things. One is we're so used to this stuff, the jargon is perhaps hard for everybody to understand and the, just the process of SEPA and NEPA. So State Environmental Policy Act has its process, the National Environmental Policy Act, their process, the port is following the state pile process, the, uh, the arm, Army Corps. FAA is using the environmental assessment process, which is under the federal law. However, once the Army Corps completes their environmental assessment, they are able, I don't know why this <laughs> is, but um, I'm much more used to dealing with the Corps than right, the, right, federal the problem yes. is like, it's a federal agency, right? So um, once the FAA completes their environmental assessment, they may determine at that time that it triggers a fuller EIS. That that's within the normal federal process. It may not be the case. And again, I think it's important to recognize that this is a really more of a planning document, that it's not a construction document. So they're evaluating the impact of this overall plan. Whether or not they think it triggers the, the full EIS or not is yet to be determined. And I guess that's because we heard from a couple of the public comment speakers that we want to make them do this, that, or the other thing. I, I, I just think that as far as starting at the EA, that, that does not mean it precludes them from continuing on. They may or may not, but it's not a final decision at this point. Yeah, so the, the Federal Aviation Administration is the lead agency for the National Environmental Policy Act. They have requested at this time that we start the analysis with an environmental assessment. Once we see the results of that environmental environmental assessment, um, the FAA may decide that we need to do an environmental impact statement, an EIS. Uh, at this time, uh, we are focused on the EA and trying to get all that documentation to the FAA. Uh, it's extremely robust. Uh, whether we do an EA or an EIS, we will still do an in-depth and detailed analysis for the EA or an EIS should it arise. And just again for public engagement, 
they release a draft, there's a 30, 60, 90 day public comment period, then a federal comes out, and then a record of decision with the action. So there are places for public engagement throughout, but in the, starting with actually scoping, or did we basically scope this project back in the day? Are we gonna revisit scoping? Uh, we will not revisit scoping at this time. The projects still remain the same. Uh, back in 2020 when we came to commission is when we made a recommendation that we do both a NEPA separate of SEPA. What that also allows is two opportunities for the agencies and public to comment, which I think is a benefit to increase our public outreach and engagement as well. So one can inform the other as they stagger through the process. Yes, so we will use a lot of the analysis for SEPA that we've undergone under the NEPA environmental assessment. Thank you. I hope that clarifies stuff for the public. Great, thank you so much. Okay. Oh, Commissioner Hazagawa. Can we return to um, slide four, please? Um, the environmental review analysis based on constrained growth scenario. It's one more slide back, slide four. Page four is listed in the PowerPoint. Um, so what are the assumptions with the red line, the gray line, and the dotted blue line? So the blue line represents an unconstrained forecast. That means that SeaTac could grow at any amount and any percentage without any constraints that are associated with the airport. So for example, size, the amount of gates, uh, we would have ample unlimited supply. Uh, as you've heard previously, SeaTac is a very small, has a very small footprint. We had to undergo what's called a constrained operating growth scenario. It's a kind of an alternative forecast to look at when an airport does have constraints associated with it, what are the impacts to future growth. For SeaTac, we identified one primary constraint, and that's aircraft gates and hold positions on the ground. We simply don't have enough places to park aircraft. So what the orange line shows is if we choose to do nothing at SeaTac Airport, uh, we will operate in a very limited capacity uh, as soon as 2027. What you see is the gray line, which is the increase or the bump. That's when we push, if the proposed near-term projects move forward, that allows us to bring in more capacity at the airport, both operations and passengers. Are the, um, are these projections based upon the assumption that there would not be a second airport in Washington State to service international domestic travel needs? That study actually anticipated that the near-term projects would happen. So it assumed that the near-term projects would move forward into the future. I'm referring to the prospect um, that's happening beyond the Port of Seattle and King County about establishing a second airport that might be able to absorb some of the travel demands um, and needs of, of Washingtonians who are currently traveling into SEA in order to travel from there on out. Um, does this assume that there would not be a second or another alternative option to service demand so and that we would absorb the bulk of the public demand for travel? So the, the CACC study, and you know, pardon me, I don't recall what the acronym stands for, was the initial airport siting study that was completed um, or, or 
essentially stopped. That study anticipated that near-term projects would occur. So what it did, it looked at is how much additional capacity would be needed in the region if SeaTac was to move forward with the near-term projects. Uh, the study has since stopped, as you know, uh, and is reevaluating what it needs to assess uh, future growth in the region. I think it's uh, important to point out, too, that the chart we're looking at here contemplates a period through 2037, which isn't even to the point where uh, a second airport could have been sited had that been successful. So it, it contemplates air traffic regardless, you know, whether in the future there were a second airport. That's correct. All right. Hearing no further questions for this item, is there a motion and a second? Yes. Uh, so moved. Second. All right. The motion has been made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. Great. The motion passes. Thank you, team. So we have no presentations and staff reports today. So that means that uh, that concludes our business meeting agenda for the day. Are there any closing comments at this time or motions related to committee referrals from commissioners? All right, seeing none, Executive Director Metric, any closing comments for us today? Uh, no, commissioners, thank you for your time on uh, reviewing these important items today. Thank you. Great, hearing no further comments and having no further regular business, if there is no objection, the commission will take a 10-minute break and we'll then recess into executive session per RCW 42.30.110 sub 1 sub F and sub 1 sub I for approximately an hour. No action will be taken during this time and the meeting will adjourn immediately after the conclusion of the session. We are in recess at 2 executive session at 2.20 p.m. Thank you very much.